You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Windy City Grid Iron Radio with you, as always, your host, Robert Siglinski. And I am pleased to be joined by the Rinners, Danny Kelly, to discuss the Seahawks today and the very, very saddening end of the Legion of Pooh. <laughs> I, I I know Daniel will act will act like it doesn't bother him too much, but um, we're gonna get into that and we're gonna preview the Seahawks 2018 season. They're the next opponent on in this podcast series. The Bears will play them in Monday Night Football Week Two, so we want to understand where they sit and and why the Legion of Boom um, maybe had to end and why the Russell Wilson magic um, is probably more of the focus now. Danny, thanks for having on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, oh, and there's, oh, there's a, big a big echo. echo. I don't know I don't if know that matters. matters. I don't think I don't think I hear that. But um, if anything, that'll just give give your voice more effect. That will <laughs> that will make it 3D. Danny Kelly in 3D. Danny Kelly in 3D. Y- Yanni and Laurel, which we'll also discuss. Oh my later. god! Yeah, <laughs> that was pissing me off yesterday. <clears throat> I'm definitely a hardcore Laurel guy. Although I, I wonder if that means that I have like terrible hearing and I've totally ruined all my ability to high, hear anything high-pitched or not but um that's another story uh yeah so i'm excited to talk about the seahawks kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's lead with that so uh, a lot of departures cliff averill michael bennett um, richard Sherman, which we'll talk about a little bit more after this but what does this kind of exodus i guess that's a, a nice loaded <laughs> word there what is the signal for the seahawks i mean this was a team that was defined by their defense for most of the past era was one of mm-hmm. the most successful nfc teams in recent memory um it's kind of seems like they're on uh, uh retooling or rebuilding and maybe they don't really have a plan i don't know i like all those euphemisms i've i've gone with uh reset the word reset and okay. it's kind of like uh Opposed to being a complete rebuild, because I don't really see the Seahawks as a rebuilding team. I mean, when you have a quarterback, a franchise quarterback, and you have an all-pro free safety, Neural Thomas, and a middle linebacker, and Bobby Wagner, I mean, you just, I don't think that necessarily signals that you're rebuilding completely. I think you've got, you know, the foundational pieces, but... <clears throat> excuse me, but I think they... Uh, <laughs> God. Um, I do think that they are starting kind of a new era in in their identity and who they are and, and you know obviously they were defined by the legion of boom for years and um it, it's i mean obviously earl thomas is still there for now at least but it's it's kind of a whole new defense and so um yeah i i don't know what whatever you want to call it I, you could call it a rebuild and that's fine I've, I've called it a reset because like i said they still have a few big pieces of their of their identity left but um we're, we're seeing them try and get back to you know, I think it's like they're starting over in terms of their organizational life cycle a little bit in, in the sense that they they want to get back to running the ball really well. Last two years, they've 
kind of lost that ability and lost that identity. And, um, you know, we saw that in the draft, like they took Rashad Penny, Penny in the first round. That was a big surprise. And, you know, they've gone out in the free agent market and got a few guys that'll help with the run game with the tight end and offensive line, DJ Fluker and Ed Dixon, I think. And and so, you know, you're seeing them kind of like try and try and reset their identity. I think it's kind of the big deal. Objectively, um, do you still consider them like a team that's in the thick of the NFC playoff race? It's a really loaded mm-hmm. conference, Danny. I, I, yeah. I, do you still consider them like a contender? I mean, especially in the division. I mean, the Rams is probably the best team in that division, considering everything they've done in this offseason, at least on mm-hmm. paper. Yeah. So, I mean, are are they a playoff contender? I think that they, and that's a, I mean, that's a vague sort of definition i do think they can contend for the playoffs whereas and and let's let's make the distinction because i think the last couple years i would have you know fandom aside i would have considered them one of the favorites as a super bowl team you know coming out of the coming out of the nfc because last year i mean it's easy to forget based on kind of how the season went but went into the season thinking that the seahawks had one of the best rosters in the nfl obviously you know injuries and and things happened and, and it did not work out that way at all. But I mean, when they got Sheldon Richardson, it was like, wow, this team is stacked. And so, you know, compared to what they've been the last couple of years, I think it's definitely a major downgrade. That said, I do think they still have enough talent and I guess the pieces to be a potential contender. Um, but I mean, I guess I think if I had to put money on it right now, I'd probably have them not making the playoffs next year, just because like you said, the NFC is super stacked. They're probably going to have to win the division to get into the playoffs. I mean, if you look at the NFC South and the NFC North, um, I mean, even the NFC East, all those teams have the potential to put two teams in the playoffs, potentially three. I mean, last year, I think the South put, did the yeah, South put three teams in last year? And so, Saints, Panthers, and yeah, 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 the yeah. three, three, three. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I mean, it, it looks to me like they're going to have to beat out the Rams in the division. It's not going to be easy. I think they have a the shot at it, but I I would probably put money on them missing the playoffs next year. I just think that they're kind of, um, you know, maybe more like a nine win team, eight or nine win team than like a ten or eleven win team. Yeah, until they fix, which we'll get to later, until they fix those offensive line problems, I I don't think Aaron Donald is too worried about <sighs> those games. I don't, yeah. especially with with Sue in the fold. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mentioned Sherman with the 49ers. So the, um, I guess the, na- the the biggest narrative surrounding it was this was kind of his vengeance for being relieved. Right. So he immediately <laughs> goes over to the Bay Area, goes to a team that's going to directly oppose the Seahawks twice a year. Um, how are we supposed to gauge this? Are you worried about it? Are you a guy coming off an Achilles injury? Are, are you maybe even rooting for him in San Francisco in a way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely rooting for him. I mean, obviously, when he's playing the Seahawks, I'm not like hoping he's picking Russell Wilson off or anything like that. But um, I mean, he obviously endeared himself to Seahawks fans over the years. I mean, he he had one of the most iconic plays in Seahawks history, really, when when he, uh, you know, tipped the ball to Malcolm Smith, send the Seahawks to the Super Bowl in 2013. And so, I mean, he was kind of the face of the team for a couple of years. I mean, obviously there was Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson and Cam Chancellor and other guys, you know, were big, but I mean, Richard Sherman was just despised by everybody and Seahawks fans loved him for it. And so, 
you know, I, I'm definitely rooting for him going forward. I hope that he comes back and that his Achilles doesn't affect his game too much. He's never been like a guy that's super dependent on quick twitch speed. So he could come back and, and still be good. But I am a little bit worried about it just because, you know, he's getting older in the first place and, and coming back from an injury like that is never going to be easy. And so you just worry a little bit that I'll have, have some, you know, follow-up issues to it. But um, yeah, I'm definitely rooting for him. I think most, I would say most Seahawk fans probably, you know, want him to succeed and want him to, to have a good rest of his career. You know, again, probably not against the Seahawks, but I think everybody still likes him a lot. Is this like, the Brett Farr of corners going to Minnesota in a way is, is, is yeah. <laughs> well, the Seahawks 49ers rivalry is kind of funny because <clears throat> for a couple of years, like during the Jim Harbaugh era, it was mm-hmm. incredibly heated and it was a really, really good rivalry. Um, and then over the last few years, it's really died off and, and hasn't been that fierce or, or, you know, angry of a rivalry. So I, I don't think it does. It doesn't have like the same, um, you know, like you, you betrayed us type of thing like that. It, I don't, I don't know. I never got that sense that it was like that big of a deal. It, I think if it was like in the heyday of the Seahawks 49ers rivalry a couple of years ago, I think it would have been a little bit different, but 49ers have been pretty bad last couple of years and um, just hasn't had the same strength. So it, it doesn't really feel, it doesn't really feel like a, like a backstab or anything like that. I was really hoping that you you say the opposite, like you go all <laughs> in on the storyline, and then like you you push it. Uh, it's fine. We, we we do a little clickbait on the podcast. <laughs> I could bring uh, I could bring some more hot takes if you want. I can I can turn up the heat a little. Okay, yeah. What's what's up? What's the hot take on your mind? It doesn't necessarily <laughs> what's it, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the Seahawks, but if it has to do oh, with the Seahawks, let's, let's hear a hot Shoot. take. I, I wish I would have uh, been more prepared for some takes. Uh, okay. Let's see here. Jimmy G is trash and he's ugly. I don't know. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. Yeah. Um oh wait, okay. Well trash maybe. Ugly no. Come on. He's objective. He's objective. <laughs> now I know you're lying. Okay. He's objectively <laughs> a beautiful man. Come on. Um Yeah, I know. I know. Uh moving on. Is 2018 um and I, I don't want to put too much stock into one year and hyperbolize too much, but is it kind of a hot seat year if they can't get back to the playoffs? Uh, you know, the first, 2017 was the first time this organization missed the playoffs since 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is are, are, is it kind of being framed that way? Do they have to have a big rebound? Is is something like five and eleven, six and ten, seven and nineteen as a huge failure? Um, I think they the Seahawks went to the playoffs in 2012. They didn't go to the playoffs in 2011 or 2010 either. I don't think, but. Um, they did make the playoffs like five years in a row, four or five years in a row after Carroll kind of took took control and, and built up the the roster. I think oh, that 2011, 2011. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, so I don't I don't think if they miss the playoffs, Carroll's on the hot seat. Um, what I do think is that potentially he could think about retiring. Mm. You know, which is I think more what people are afraid of rather than I. You know. Hey, maybe anything's possible. I don't think the CX would fire him. I don't think Paul Allen's going to fire him, but I think there is the fear that like, if, if he loses his enthusiasm, if the Seahawks really go in the other direction the next year and struggle and have a lot of, you know, drama and all that, um, there's kind of the fear that, that Carol could retire. So, or, you know, not, you know, not retire necessarily, but leave and go do something else. Like go back to USC or, or whatever, but yeah, um, just walk away. Just walk away. 
Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the fear. Like, you know, you kind of want there to be a recaptured excitement and energy around the team. I think the last two seasons have been pretty, um, for the most part, frustrating for Seahawks fans. Obviously, it's good to have a winning team and, and people should not lose sight of that. They did win mm-hmm. nine games, but, um, you know, it's been frustrating a couple of years in terms of just injuries and team like infighting and kind of just constant drama around around the players and the coaches and all that. So, um, but I, I do think Carroll, you know, as long as there's like some sort of feel of going in the right direction, I think he's kind of in it for a few more years based on just kind of like they changed all their coaching staff. They're kind of revamping and going back to what, you know, I think he, what he wanted him to be. There's talk of him sort of resetting the culture, you know, and getting rid of some of his bigger personality veterans like Michael Bennett and Richard Sherman, um, you know, trying to get sort of, I guess, the message that he had early with the team kind of ingrained back into the psyche of the team or whatever. So feels like he's, he's ready for like a re a, a refreshment of kind of like what he's doing. And so I feel like that's probably in his mind, a couple year program, a couple years like process. And so long story short is I, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I don't think he's on the hot seat necessarily, but there is some fear that he'll just leave if, if things don't go well this year. Let me be a devil's advocate and then pull out the hot take. So yeah. you kind of said, you kind of just said it that he's seems like he's in it for a couple more years that he's trying to do a reset. Well, how do you, I mean, what would it be more beneficial for the, uh, some coaches, you know, they kind of have a shelf life. It's like right. sometimes six or seven years, five or six years. And then maybe veterans start tuning them out. Maybe the organization could just use a fresh uh, breath of fresh air. Right. Um, would that be the case with Carol? I mean, are, are we are we going towards that territory again? Devil's advocate. She is a hot take. Mm-hmm. But I, I want I wanted to see I, I want to see what you think. I don't think it's necessarily even that big of a devil's advocate argument, too, because I think there is sort of at least in the people that I talk to, there's sort of the feel. It's it's funny because honestly, in 2015, 2014, 20, or 2013, 2014, and then into sections of 2015, like saying that Carol is maybe not the right man for the job would have been sacrilege. I mean, he Mm -hmm. turned around the Seahawks. It was amazing what he did. You know, people a hundred percent bought into everything he was selling. And I mean, I did too. Like I loved his whole philosophy, his whole program, like the, the always compete win forever. I was like all into all that, you know? And I think now there's a lot of people that are probably questioning like, okay, Maybe, you know, that that definitely worked, but maybe it's not necessarily the best way of going about it. Like, you know, there's a lot of and this is kind of the big talking point right now is there's a lot there's tons and tons of research on on how much more efficient passing is than running. And, and Seattle seems to be very, very much dedicated to running and, and going back to sort of like the old school of football where, you know, all these stats and and. and efficiency measures and, 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 you know, analytics kind of tell you like, that's not the best way to win. And so there's definitely sort of, I think some question whether, you know, it was a flash in the pan kind of success thing that happened, you know, with the Seahawks in 2013, 2014, or, you know, if maybe, you know, they definitely, if they need some new ideas and they need to take it in a new direction. So, um, there's definitely some questions, I think. And, and that's that would have been, like I said, that would have been really rare and sacrilege probably a couple of years ago. But it's gotten to the point now where people are like, okay, maybe maybe something better, you know, someone else would do better at this point. 
It, it sounds like it's the kind of thing where um, you're winning and everyone will just blindly follow you because everything's working out and you can and you can literally get away with whatever you want. And now that it's kind of like, I mean, it's, it, this is an obvious point, but now that cracks are showing in the armor, right. they do something like invest in Rashad Penny in the first round and, and go away from analytical success with passing and running. It's like, okay, um, maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, but if they were 13 and three, four, if they were 13, three, 14 and two, and still the class of the conference, like no one cares. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, it's human nature, obviously. Yeah. And there's just so many variables that go into building a winning team in the NFL that it's just so it's like impossible to figure out, you know, whether it's based on Carol's philosophy is his ability to, build a team is his ability to instill you know confidence and competition blah blah blah. or hey maybe they just got really fucking lucky when they when they chose you know they had like the the most amazing draft class in 2013 or 20 uh sorry 2012 Mm -hmm. i'm trying to remember the russell wilson draft class or whatever when they got wilson they got bobby wagner um and then obviously they picked Richard Sherman and, and Cam Chancellor in the mid rounds. I mean, they they like hit on a crazy amount of all pro talent. They got Cliff Averill and, and Michael Bennett for for basically peanuts and free agency. They had all these major hits. And then since then, their drafts have been really underwhelming. Their free agency moves have been terrible. Their trades have been pretty terrible. I mean, you see like Percy Harvin, the Percy Harvin thing just went terribly awry. The Jimmy Graham thing never worked like they thought it would. Um, there's all these different, you know, personnel moves over the last few years and draft moves over the last few years that you're just like, what are they doing? And so, um, for a while there, it was like, man, they just know what they're doing. They, this, they've got it figured out. And now it's like, okay, maybe they just got lucky. Like all the right variables kind of just happened at the same time. And it's really hard to kind of assign credit on, you know what I mean? It's like hard to figure out like why they were mm-hmm. why they were they were the number one team in dvoa like four years in a row and so like when that happens you're like okay these guys know exactly what they're doing they, they, they've figured it out but then you know it's slowly chipped away at and, and the the confidence you have in them is slowly chipped away and, and like i said you're kind of just like okay well maybe they just got lucky these sound like such winning team problems like such like Oh, as, yeah. a, as a guy as a guy from as a guy from chicago like i do, i honestly cannot relate any less I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well in the, and that's the thing is like when you when as a fan base when you have a lot of success you begin to expect that and i mean it's really hard to deal with even it's not even mediocrity like less than excellence <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. it's just like what are they doing when, like I said, they won nine games last year, like most teams would be pretty happy about that. Um, and it felt like a complete and total fail- failure for the Seahawks last year. And so um, it's definitely weird. I'm definitely aware of the fact that like these are, like you said, like first world problems, but um, <laughs> yeah. kind of like it's kind of the nature of fan- fandom, I think. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a natural thing. It's it's totally okay. It's just I'm a little envious, but I'm, it's totally okay. <laughs> um, so the focus of the franchise is kind of, it's well, it's been rough. Russell Wilson, but now it's almost as much as they're going to try to maybe support him more with a with a solid running game more than they have in the past few years. Um, it's still more or less going to be his show. He's still going to be the guy that produces sixty to seventy percent of the team's offensive yards, more than likely um, at some at intermittent points. Um, but for whatever reason, Danny, they're still at least it seems like it. They're still neglecting the offensive line, and I, mm-hmm. and I think you'll agree with this. Um, 
the Seahawks under Carroll not addressing the offensive line was kind of kind of wasted the era um, to to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, why doesn't this organization commit more up front? Like why, why it seems it's such a simple concept. Like why not just develop focus more on development and focus more on actually getting quality draft picks, yeah. agency additions, whatever. Well, and that's and that's a big um, like argument or point of contention among fans right now is because they actually have invested a lot in the offensive line. They just haven't gotten any results out of it. So they obviously, you know, they took Jermaine Effetti in the first round. They took Ethan Posich in the second round. Justin Britt's a second rounder. Um, They used a second round pick to get Dwayne Brown. They used a first round pick to get Russell Okung, and he didn't stick around. But, I mean, you go down the line, they've, they've actually put a lot of draft capital into the offensive line. They haven't put as much money into it. Which, by the way, you know, is it, you can explain it away because I mean, they've had a, an, an incredible payroll on their defense over the last few years. I mean, they yeah. like they had to decide are we going to try and bring in outside free agents for the offensive line or pay our superstar defenders? It's kind of like the, it, they didn't have it, wasn't necessarily an either or, or it was kind of an either or thing. They couldn't necessarily build an amazing offensive line while at the same time paying. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, you know, Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, all these guys. At one point they had like seven or eight dudes just making top dollar at their position. It was just crazy. And so, um, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where they decided to pay the defense and they thought and they had faith in Tom Cable to basically take a bunch of no name offensive linemen. Some guys have, who hadn't even played offensive line and, and, develop them into offense linemen. It just did not work. And so Tom Cable's gone. Um, And yeah, I mean, it does feel like a waste and it still feels like a waste because they didn't really do a whole lot this offseason either to kind of address the situation. And so um, I I just saw Ben Baldwin from The Athletic posted an article about it yesterday or today. And it was like talking about how over the last four years, five years, no one in the NFL has faced more pressures under two seconds than Russell Wilson. It's like mm. guys are just missing blocks immediately. <laughs> and if yeah. you watch the tape, I mean, that's what you see. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things where maybe this kind of signals a change in the way the Seahawks are going to start like putting their money, their available money in the roster. Like maybe they'll, that they'll invest more on the offense now and kind of try and build up the defense with draft picks. And so, um, yeah, it's. I think my just personal opinion is now that they're building around Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson's kind of the center of their focus now. It does make more sense to put in more money and, and more, um, you know, just like uh, hired. Like I, I would be fine. I would have been fine if they used another first rounder on an offensive lineman, frankly, yeah. just because I think when when the Seahawks are their best, uh, it's when Russell Wilson has a few seconds to, to process because he's really, really good from a clean pocket. Like he's amazing from a clean pocket. And really to me, that's their best chance of winning it is giving Russell Wilson a few seconds to throw the football, which they haven't really had much of over the last few years. Is So it sounds like you're pinning it on more of a developmental thing than, than invest or than actually how, actually how they invest. Um, but yeah. from that perspective, it's it just it's it's weird to me then that they would take someone like Penny because it's almost like, and again this is me spitballing, um, it, it's almost like they're going to use 
try to invest more in the run game to kind of um, maybe use that as something to prop up their offense until they can rebuild their offensive line. And that's just me being yeah. me putting a theory out like, like that they're going to use Penny. They're going to give him 20, 25 carries while they can build up their offensive line. And then by the time like Wilson's, what, what is he now? 28, 29, mm, something like that. Yeah. So by the time he's 30 or 31, then they have an actual offensive line and then, <laughs> and then they can use Penny less. Is, is that, yeah. does that hold credence? Yeah. I mean, I think so. And, and you look back in the, Seahawks run games under Marshawn Lynch and it wasn't like their offensive line blocking was amazing back then. It was like Lynch was breaking a shitload of tackles all the time. And I think they, they talked about Penny when they took him that, you know, he's one of the best guys after the, after contact, he, he was, um, you know, very effective tackle breaker and very elusive. And so I think they definitely see him as not Marshawn Lynch, obviously, because you can't really compare anyone to Marshawn Lynch, but yeah, um, you know, a guy who can do more with less on the offensive line. And I think Carroll, you know, he's always espoused since he came to Seattle, even before they took Russell Wilson, he's always talked about how, you know, uh, Bill Walsh taught him that the best way to build it, the, 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 the longest and most consistent way to make a winner is to take as much pressure off of the quarterback as possible, because obviously the quarterback is the biggest variable oh, crazy in, thought, in football. Crazy thought. <laughs> and so he's always he's always like wanted to go and build a team that can still win if your quarterback gets hurt like that's kind of the thing like if it's a windy yeah. rainy day he wants a team that can win in any situation essentially he's trying to take away variables right and so i think that's why he believes in the run game because it's something that the team can depend on whether it's rainy windy you know whether russell wilson gets hurt blah 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 like he wants a team that can win despite all those things. And so, um, yeah, I think that's why he believes so much in the run game. And, and despite what, you know, advanced metrics would say, like he, he's never going to change that thought. And so, I mean, I've, I've said over this off season, like it just, this off season is, is Pete Carroll taking back the wheel doing like, he basically is like, you know, Sinatra is like, I'm going to do it my way. You know, this is my way or the highway. I'm going to go oh, down. Right. Reference. I'm going to go down. Like if I'm going to go down, at least I'm going to do it my way. Like I read his book. And he was really like the thing that you take away from his time in New England when he got fired, he got fired out of New England. And then that's why he went to college. Um, what you can take away from that to me was that he just felt like he had his hands tied and, and, and like by front office and, and, and everything. And so he has full control of the Seahawks. He wants like, he wants to do it his way. He's a very, very strong philosophy and, you know, very well articulated. He wrote a book literally. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think he just wants to, you know, he's, he's not going to be swayed. He wants to do it his way. I, I really like the, 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 the shameless musical <laughs> plug in there. That was, that was, that was nice and seamless. Um, thank you. Thank you. And now I'm going to ruin that by reading off the 2018, the Seahawks free agency editions. Um, <laughs> all right. So, I mean, you mentioned, and this is, this is in no particular order, but you mentioned some. So, Ed Dixon, um, mm-hmm. a perennial project, Barkevius Mingo, yeah, um, who's still looking to find his potential at 27 after years in the league. Uh, Jerron Brown, Shamar Stevens, uh, Tom Johnson, Sebastian uh, Janikowski, Byron <laughs> Maxwell, yes, <laughs> yeah, Byron Maxwell is back again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, DJ Fluker, Marcus Smith, Mike Davis, 
Dante Johnson, and then Austin Davis. Um, Danny, what are we thinking? <laughs> who's who's? I mean, that's not exactly a, a, a tip-top free agent class necessarily. No. It doesn't have to be. But who's going to kind of make the most impact of these guys? Who's going to who's going to play the biggest part for Seattle in 2018, if any? To be fair, if any. Yeah. Well, so I mean, I, like literally, the Seahawks free agent class was adding role players, and, yeah. and that's fine. And that that's I mean, you know, free agency is a minefield because some of those are generous, though. To say role players, some of that is. Generous. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So Bar- Barkevius Mingo, he's going to play their Sam linebacker spot. It's never been a super important part of their offense or defense. Sorry, because a lot of times they're playing nickel anyway, um, and they only have two linebackers on the field, but. He's the kind of guy who's who's really athletic, and they can maybe try and have him rush a little bit. Like he he's a role player. Uh, they they added Deion Jordan, Marcus Smith, two guys that you know based on efficiency stats did pretty well rushing the passer. Now they're going to be expecting those guys to do you know put up big volume over longer you know more snaps, and so that's kind yeah. of a huge question mark. I think Deion Jordan could be good. I think when he played last year, he really flashed. Like he looked pretty good, so he could surprise some people, but. There's no track record. There's no real track record for it. So it's it's a huge question mark. Um, I don't know Tom Johnson's game really well. I haven't watched a ton of tape, but I've talked to a bunch of guys from from Minnesota, and they love him. And I yeah. think you know he's going to be a guy. I think that could be a, a, a he could outplay kind of the impression that 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 he made when he was signed. I think people are going to end up liking him a lot more than kind of like you know just the name recognition isn't great. Tom Johnson's like. You know, that's the most general, vague name ever in the yeah. first place. So, so I think it's like, who is this guy? Um, you'll, you'll find that guy listed a, a bunch in the yellow pages if people <laughs> the yellow pages. But yeah. Yeah. So I think he's the kind of guy who could kind of outplay his his reputation or not reputation, but like the, the impression that people got from him. So, um, you know, those, those are all role players. And Byron Maxwell, I like Byron Maxwell, actually. Like I was excited when the Seahawks resigned him, I think. He's been terrible everywhere else he's gone, but he's really good. Or not really good. I don't want to oversell it. He's solid yeah. in the Seahawks system. Um, there's a reason, you know, the the Eagles signed him to this enormous contract after he, he played for the Seahawks because he was really good in the Seahawks scheme. And obviously that didn't work out for the Eagles. It didn't work out when he was with the Dolphins. But in Pete Carroll's scheme with what the, the unique kind of specific things they ask of him, I think he's really solid. So he'll probably, to me, he'll be their start, starter and he'll be solid. Um, you know, this, and this is maybe being a little bit too uh, rose colored lens or whatever, optimistic. Oh, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Stand on your soapbox. No, I'm saying what I'm saying previously might be a little oh, too okay. optimistic, oh. but ultimately, like, I liked those role player, you know, additions. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say on the other side, I don't think the Seahawks have very much talent outside of Baldwin and Lockett in the receiver core. I'm worried about kind of what they're going to have, you know, Uh downfield for Russell Wilson. They lose Jimmy Graham. So they don't have a real, they don't have like a guy who can just post up in the red zone. Their, their offense was outside of Jimmy Graham was atrocious in the red zone last year. They lost Luke Wilson too. So I'm going to sound really ignorant right now, but who, is the starting tight end? Just hold on. Oh, that's not ignorant. That's a good question. I'm assuming it's Ed Dixon. Um, you yeah, know, I think he, it's Ed Dixon. Yeah, they got him, and kind of the reputation is he's a good pass blocking tight end, and it's kind of one of those things like it'll help the offensive line because he's a good pass blocker. Um, and so I guess he he you can kind of count him like offensive line six kind of guy. Um, 
Nick Vanette. They keep talking him up. We don't really know much about him. They think mm-hmm. he's kind of like a two way guy. You can like he can, you know, he can block or this is what we're told. He can block and then also go downfield and catch the ball. But we really don't know much about him. Will Disley is a rookie who I think will probably play quite a bit because he's supposed to be a really good run blocker. He's a former defensive lineman who switched to tight end at UW and kind of just showed natural ability to do it. Yeah. So I think it's probably, there's not, I mean, you can, you'll have someone that officially starts probably, but I don't think there's going to be any one like guy they lean on hard. I think it's going to be kind of like each guy has a, a different role to play. Before we talk draft, what was the deal with not bringing Sheldon Richardson back? And, and, and that's me just in general. Uh, again, it's kind of just a money allocation type thing. I think, you know, well, I don't know what he got like 8 million for a one year deal. He was probably looking for a lot of money for on a longer term deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think the Seahawks wanted to dedicate, you know, eight to 10 million in cap hit per year to an interior rusher who got one sack last year. Obviously he was pretty efficient as an interior rusher. He's one of the, he's like one of the, I think he's top 10 interior rusher just based on pro football focuses. Like, pressure rate type stats but i do think i think he only had one sack and so it's like you got to kind of just decide you know you can only have so many 10 million dollar guys on your defense Mm -hmm. right and i think they just ultimately decided that he wasn't a a high enough impact player to kind of make someone that they're building around and obviously it didn't work out they wanted the way that they wanted um I think they they traded for him because Malik McDowell got hurt. They were gonna they were depending on Malik McDowell to kind of come in and, and bring that pressure from the inside. They traded for Richardson because they thought they could win a Super Bowl, right? And obviously, all the injuries kind of affected that ability. And, and they didn't they you know a couple bad bounces here and there, and they lost games. They lost they they missed a couple kicks that were really important and lost games because of that. And so. I think they really were just going for it. They they saw him as a guy who could help them win a Super Bowl that year. That was like what they needed to win the Super Bowl. You know, it was like one piece of the pie, but, you know, and, and it just didn't work out. Wow, Danny. It sounds like you're still blindly following Pete Carroll's decisions, to be honest. Wow. <laughs> like just defending everything they do. Can, can you be a little objective? Gee. <laughs> um, pop quiz. So you mentioned 2012 being a fantastic draft for the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner, Russell Wilson. Well, since then, who, yeah. who do you consider? to be the best draft pick the Seahawks have had. And we can't really count 2018, obviously, because they, no one's played there. But 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, and 2013. Oh, man. Uh, we have enough there. Who is the best Seahawks draft pick in the last five years? I'm just pulling it up. Hold on. So we got – let's see here. I, I My instinct is probably Tyler Lockett, which is – come on. Hold on. I'm trying to pull it up. I would have said someone else, but yeah. The, oh, the Frank two. Clark? Yeah, definitely Frank Clark. Frank Clark, actually. 22 and, sacks. That's easy. That should be easy. So I'm just looking at it. Let's see here. I mean, I think Shaquille Griffin is going to end up being a really good player. So um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's already shown a lot of promise in one year, and I think he's going to be just getting better. And so I think <laughs> you could almost say Shaq Griffin. Um, just going down the list, I mean. Wait, what? what Shaquille Griffin? When yeah, Shaquille Griffin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Shaquille Griffin, who played corner for him last year. I mean, we could, you know, in a couple of years, Shaquille Griffin might look like an awesome pick. Right. Um, I'm just going off of kind of what's happened. I would say, yeah, I mean, it's between Frank Clark, Tyler Lockett, and Shaq Griffin. So, um, and, uh, sorry, Shaquille Griffin. So, yeah. And Not that's great. 
And that that kind of yeah, that tells you how their drafts have been. I mean, Paul Richardson was a solid player, Justin Pritt starter. That's fine. Um their 2013 draft was atrocious, atrocious. Luke Wilson was the final holdover for that class and he just <laughs> left. Um obviously That's where we came a good player with Yeah, with yeah. Me. They cut him though. Um and then also, I mean, like if you're looking at players that ended up being really good pros, I mean like Alex Collins might might end up looking like one of their better picks and they cut him right, you know, after like they a year. Have, and then they wouldn't have had to draft Rashad Penny. <laughs> yeah. Theoretically, I know that's not how it works, but yeah, exactly. So um not only not only can you question, you know, the quality of their drafts, but they, they ended up making a couple of weird decisions on who the, who to cut and you know, kind of affected like what they had to do this year. And so um yeah, I mean their drafts have just been really underwhelming. It's really affected their ability to have depth, you know, at, at key spots on their roster. You know, they're, they're if if like the best case scenario is you're getting like one solid starter out of a draft, like that might not be enough. Yeah, you want like two or three. I think that's what we normally settle on. If you can get two or three starters, that's that's the ideal. Um, Especially compared to like, I mean, like again, I said the 2012 and 2013 drafts or 2011 and 2012 drafts. I mean, they got uh-huh. they got all pros out of those drafts, like several right. all pros. And, and that's a big difference. So, yeah, it, it, it's it's a it doesn't show up right away, but that really you know chips away at your ability to have like a contender. We've OK, so with this recent Browns and Jets and even Bears like draft history, um, I don't know how much stock we can put into 2018, but obviously we won't <laughs> be able to judge them until they get on the field, Danny. Right. Um, but who who do you kind of see being the guys that end up panning out to be the best players, end up making the most impact in 2018? Um, we've talked about Penny a lot, but you can go with and you can go with anyone else. You can go with a number of guys. I mean, I personally appreciate taking an All-American punter in the fifth round, Michael Dixon. <laughs> that's 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 an investment in field position right there. That's, that's something you have to appreciate. That is a that's such a Pete Carroll pick too. I mean, like I said before, it's like he wants he, he has always preached. You know, special teams are just as important as defense and offense. But yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those things where they really want to play the field position game. And, and um, I think it was funny because most Seahawks fans, when they traded up, because they traded up to get him. Yep. And mm-hmm. most people were like, oh, who's it going to be? It's going to be really exciting. And then it was a punter and everyone just just like laughing. But then, you know, once you look into because I did zero, you know, research on punters in the draft. And then once you, start seeing, so. <laughs> once you start seeing some of the scouting reports on him, you're like, oh, okay, this is kind of fun. I'm actually really excited about this because, um, you know, just what you hear, he, he has uh, an amazing ability to kind of just put the ball right in the corner, you know, inside the five, 10 yard line or whatever. That is um, the most football nerd thing possible. And, I, and I'm yeah. with you there to get excited about a punter. But anyway, you can say, yeah. <laughs> So, but I mean, when you look, when I look at this draft, it, it, it kind of, it's funny because it sort of mirrors their free agency class too, in the mm-hmm. sense that it, it looks like a bunch of role players and that's maybe good. I mean, if they can get multiple starters, like we just talked about out of this draft, I think that's a pretty solid draft. I think Penny is going to be a solid starter. I think Will Disley, you know, for what the Seahawks want to do is going to be a solid player because he'll be able to run block and that's what they want to do. I think Shaquem Griffin 
is probably going to develop into either a strong side, you know, or sorry, a weak side linebacker kind of run and chase guy or potentially play him kind of like a safety hybrid type player. And I'm really excited about what he can do. And then Trey Flowers, who was a safety at Oklahoma State, is now kind of transitioning to to cornerback. I think there's some potential there. I think, I mean, over the years, the Seahawks have drafted um, highly athletic, longer guys in the fifth round. Yeah. Most most of them haven't panned out, but I mean, obviously Richard Sherman did, and um, to a lesser extent, Deshaun Shedd did. He he was a undrafted free agent, but you right. know he, he developed into like a starting caliber player for them for a little while before he tore his ACL. So you know they're they're really hit and miss on kind of their their later round project corners, but I think there's some excitement to be had because Trey Flowers is huge. He's like six foot three with really long arms, really really athletic guy, and so there's some excitement there. Um, yeah, so I mean, overall, it's like one of those classes where you can you can kind of pick out guys that'll contribute. Um, I'm not like overly excited about any of them, to be honest. But I think there's guys in there that can that can contribute early, and and you know we'll see. I think Rasheem Green is kind of the X factor, though. Like you have to right now, like what he is, it's like in in he's a he's a perfect example of what the draft ultimately is. Is like you're taking a guy for what he can become, not what he's done. Um, and I think they see he's like 20 years old. He, they see him as as a really raw piece of clay that they can develop into that Michael Bennett role. And so we'll see how it works out. I mean, he had some pretty solid efficiency numbers as a pass rusher. Um, but again, he, he's not he's anything but a complete product at this point. So I think the regime green will be a guy kind of watch over not not this year, but like in two or three years. How did that uh, Shaquem Griffin being reunited with Shaquille Griffin thing get you? Oh, that was that was awesome i i was it was like a really really fun part of day three yeah um i i, I watched literally zero um of the other sort of draft day you know whatever like the the stuff that was on the nfl network like these lucky little guy. lucky guy yeah i watched zero of that i had it on i had it on my tv but i was I had it muted but the one the the things that i did turn up the volume and kind of sit back and watch were, were when they were interviewing shaquem griffin i just think that was really cool um you know he, he's obviously a really inspiring story and, and he's i think he's a really good football player too and so it's just kind of the bonus too that he's gonna be now playing with his twin brother on the cx defense i think that that was definitely the feel-good moment of day three it was really fun maybe a feel-good moment of the draft and i don't yeah. know hyperbole so that was yeah, I mean, I, I would have loved to take him. I think most teams and, and 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 writers and fans would have appreciated them on his roster. So, but him getting back with his brother, I mean, you can't beat that man. Oh yeah, and it, and and like I said it before, his brother looks kind of like a budding star for the Seahawks too. So there's sort of a non-zero chance that the Seahawks could have two potential stars. Yeah, know, yeah, in, in the Griffin brothers, and so that's super exciting. Let's finally get to the meat of this, or well, not the meat of this, but so the Bears and Seahawks, they're going to play Monday Night Football week two, Soldier Field, first uh, regular season meeting in Chicago since Russell Wilson drove uh, Dagger into the into the end of the Brian Urlacher era. Yeah, I try not to bring that up with, with Chicago fans, but yeah. I, I I know you do though. I know you do though, and and, and, I, re- and I and I and I resent you for it. But we'll we'll, we'll, we'll shoulder on. Um, but yeah, f- Good so <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, I just realized. Oh wow. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, since the last time these two teams met overall, um, 
in 2015 where the Bears punted 10 times and didn't really cross and didn't cross midfield with Jimmy Clausen at quarterback. Oh uh, yeah. There's been a, there's, you're just, you're just enjoying this anyway. <laughs> I forgot about that. Anyway, yeah. uh, there's been a bit of a shift. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think it's a, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the bears are a better team than three years ago or um, at least better coached. <laughs> um, Matt Nagy uh, is kind of, maybe is the Pete Carroll of Chicago now where everyone's going to blindly yeah. follow him until every, until something goes wrong, which is fair. <laughs> That's what happens with a new coach. That's what happens with a young coach. Um, what, what concerns you, Danny, about what the bears are bringing to the table now? I mean, the, the pivotal early, early season matchup going to go full narrative. <laughs> um, I mean, well, number one, like I've been, I've been telling Mays, like uh, Robert Mays colleague is a big Bears fan and he's always really reticent to like hype up the Bears too much because he's, he knows better over the years kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we've been heard heard a lot. We've been heard a lot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So he's a little snake bitten about, about all that. But I mean, I've kind of, I, I feel like I've sort of taken over his role as like the Bears hype man, because I'm super excited about, um, what they've done and, and, um, the, the talent base they've built. I've, and, and I've always been a Vic Fangio fan. So it's kind of been cool to see how the defense has come together too. You know, obviously um, they've got some talented guys in the secondary. I think that they've built a pretty solid interior defensive line. Obviously now they've got two really good run and chase linebackers and Rokon Smith and Danny Trevathan. And the one thing that concerns me about the bears defense is their pass rush, which coincides with the Seahawks worst you know, fault or whatever. So yeah, that kind of, you know, I think that, that initial sort of look sort of tips the the scales towards Seattle a little bit since, um, you know, the bears can't necessarily take advantage or, or won't have as good of a chance to take advantage of the Seahawks biggest weakness as, as a lot of teams will, but um, it'll be interesting to see what Seahawks defense does against the bears offense. We don't really know, Anything, anything yeah. about how the Bears' de- offense is going to look, and I, I frankly, I'm kind of happy that it's early in the season um, before Trubisky kind of hits his stride. If it's going to happen next year, mm-hmm. um, because you know, I think it's it's going to be a process. It's probably not going to happen overnight that this team all, all of a sudden is like a really you know well oiled machine on offense. But I, I love the idea of kind of coming in with that hybrid West Coast scheme where you're doing a lot of motion before the snap and you kind of spread teams out and, and just basically what the chiefs did last year. I think that was really fun offense and, and I'm excited. I think that Trubisky, you know, from a skill set point of view is, is tailored made for that. And so they've done a good job of getting weapons around him. They've done a good job of building a pretty solid offensive line. Now it's time to execute it and, and we'll see how that works. I, I do think, the Seahawks defense has a huge amount of question marks on it. So, so we go into this year kind of having no freaking clue, what <laughs> either the bears offense or the Seahawks defense is going to look like. So um, it should be a fun one. I think the bears are probably one of my top few teams that I'm, I'm really interested in and excited to watch next year. And so um, that's definitely one to, to circle. I didn't even actually realize they had a Monday night game. That's pretty fun. Um. You mentioned the pass rush, and that's that's something interesting to me because I've I've railed obviously plenty against it for the Bears not really investing in the edge rush. Um, yeah. But so would you say like that's so the interior of Seattle's offensive line is okay because that's kind of where I would consider the Bears' pass rush to actually be strong. I mean, Akeem Hicks is 
an all pro level player. Um, I, th I think fairly, I mean, he didn't get that distinction, but he is um, like skill wise and you have Eddie Goldman there. Um, so more of Seattle's concern is, is, is the tackles. I'm, I'm guessing. No, I mean, their whole offensive line is pretty oh, okay, bad. Okay, okay. I, I think obviously <laughs> um, now I'm blanking on the, uh, their left tackle. They, they, they Brown. Dwayne Brown. Um, yeah, Dwayne Brown. He's mm -hmm. good. I think he's going to be really good. But I have little, very little faith in kind of the rest of the offensive line until I see it, until I see them come together and sort of actually look like an offensive line. Um, but my point is more just like you, you don't go into the game with a ton of trepidation like you would against, you know, the Chargers or Eagles. You know, the Rams or the Eagles. Yeah, I mean, it's just those types of teams, I think, can just <clears> – <throat> kind of turn it into a bandsaw for, for what the Seahawks are trying to do like that. Those kind of teams can completely ruin a Seahawks game plan. Um, yeah. And so a team without an edge rush, like, like the bears is slightly, slightly less intimidating, but it doesn't mean that they can't beat the Seahawks. It just means, um, you know, they're just slightly less intimidating from that, from that point of view. One last point about this um one player that most scares you on the entire bears roster that like you're confident will tear seattle apart or could tear tear seattle apart in that, in that matchup figure in everything yeah so that's a good I, question I'll, I'll give you some time i'll give you some time i mean i think probably alan robinson and, and okay. again that's kind of like I, I don't know. I don't think that's an obvious answer. I mean, we don't know what he's going to yeah. be. But I don't think that's necessarily that obvious of an answer. And the other que the other answer I was actually going to come, which kind of contradicts what I just said, though, is like I, I like Hicks a lot. I think he's a really good player. Um, but I didn't want to completely contradict myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So, but I mean, yeah, I mean, there's I just like a lot of the players on the Bears. I think their their secondary is solid. I, I have questions on whether the Seahawks would be able to pass much on on that secondary because. When you got so much sideline to sideline speed um, in that back seven, um, it kind of affects what you're able to do. I don't. I guess I don't know who they have that can really shut down Doug Baldwin, though. That, that's my kind of question. Like, is Kyle Fuller that guy? I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I think he's like a. I mean, would you say he's probably like a top twelve corner? But I don't think he's a guy that's like that shuts down receivers. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player, but he's not an elite. Yeah, player. and that's kind of where that that's. I would agree with that. And plus they can move Doug around a lot and, and kind of have him be the focal point of their passing game going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, I, I just think the bears in general as a roster might not have a ton of superstars and, and guys like, like we were talking about that kind of just scare you, but overall they have a lot of talent across the board. Yeah. And I just want to see it come together. Finally, it's kind of, and I kind of talked about this a little bit. It reminds me a little bit, of the Jaguars building up their talent base over the years and, and people kind of hyped them up and then they disappointed for a couple of years in a row. And then last year it finally all kind of came together. Obviously it's different because the Jags spent like hundred million dollars on their yeah, guys. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's a different situation. But um, when you just look at the bears roster, it's pretty solid. It's honestly looking pretty solid. I'm looking forward to Russell Wilson again putting up like 400 offensive yards and just running roughshod on the Bears' defense. They'll get like four or five sacks, but yeah. minimal pressure otherwise. Well, it that's the be, thing, though, is like the, be fun. the be fun. Russell Wilson that that game, which you know essentially ended Earl Acker's career, was 
them basically employing the read option for the first time, not the first time, but you know what I mean? It was like, kind of like the, that was the birth of the RPO the coming, the coming out party for Russell Wilson. And, and as a, you know, running as a read option quarterback, that's not going to happen anymore because you got Smith and Trevathan. Um, and so, you know, he's going to have to pick them apart with his arm this year. It's going to be completely different. So um, yeah, that, that was sort of just like a bad timing kind of thing for the, yeah. for the bears, I think. Um and they're not going to surprise them anything this year, I think. Let me tear apart. The, let me tear them apart as I see fit, Danny. Okay. <laughs> um, let's close with this. And I thought this would be fine since we already, since I already got your pissed off thoughts about Yanni and Laurel. Um, <laughs> this was a, the, the quote tweet, the latest quote tweet then on Twitter. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure something immediately will come to mind for you. What's a struggle you had growing up, Danny, that kids today will never understand. <laughs> Um, well, this is like kind of boring, I guess, but like calling people's houses to get in touch with your friends. <laughs> oh yeah. Is, Hey, is John home? <laughs> yeah. Did he come outside to ride bikes? Like what the hell? Like I, I feel like our generation, I don't know how you, how old you are, but I'm of the 20, generation. I'm 24. Well, 24. Okay. So you're a little bit different, slightly different generation, or at least, you know, on, on different spectrums of the generation, but um, I'm 35. I, I grew up, we didn't have cell phones in high school. Like okay. you people had cell phones my senior year and it was like only use it in an emergency kind of right. thing. I literally, my cell phone in high school was one of those ones you had to plug into a cigarette lighter oh, <laughs> if man. you wanted to use. Jeez. Um, so you, so, you you had like the brick? Are we talking like the giant no. brick or like the flip out? Okay, you're not no, that. It was like one of those Motorola ones. It was a little bit flatter. I mean, it wasn't, I'm not going so far to say it was like that giant, like, you know, saved by the bell brick phone. Uh-huh. Um, but I mean, it was like, it, um, I grew up in the sort of era that before cell phones were ubiquitous. And, and as, call, as as I was in college, it, it became a very common thing and, and whatever. And I remember this is something I always tell people because I think it's hilarious. I remember hearing about how people in Europe like to text message rather than call. Like people, you know, in the US, it was all about calling your friends and seeing and talking. But in, in Europe, it was like, oh, yeah, well, you just text each other. And I remember thinking, I, I distinctly, vividly remember having the thought, that's so stupid. <laughs> like, this is how forward thinking I am. I was like, man, that's stupid. I really hate that. And, of course, now I, I just despise calling people. And if you call my phone, I'll pretty much never answer. Just text me. It's fine. You can We can communicate through nonverbal stuff. So Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean by te- people in Europe prefer texting? Texting back in like 2001? Yeah, this was like, I would say probably like 2005 or something like that. I remember hearing about how... Um, because, oh, yeah, text did exist in 2005. I think it was a little more rudimentary, but okay, never mind. Yeah, because like I guess in Europe back in the day, um, it was super expensive to call. Like you, It was like you had by the minute charges for mm-hmm. if you wanted to call people on your cell phone. This was, you know, before it was different in, in the US. Like we had like those um, you know, minute programs where you have like a thousand minutes a month or whatever it was. And but anyways, I remember because I, I went and traveled around for a while. It was like really, really popular to be it's like you just text each other because it was a lot cheaper. And I remember vividly thinking that was really stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that shows how much I, I know. And that's why I probably will never get into, uh, you know, like uh, investing in, in new technology because I was really obviously way off on that one. 
Well, you should be very, um, you should be prepared for like holograms like 10 years from now. That's that because that's how we're going to speak. I'm, I'm much more open minded to, uh, to new technology now because of uh, how much I whiffed on that one. Yeah, I feel that. Um, Danny, I appreciate you coming on. Really enjoyed the conversation. Really enjoyed, um, us roasting our own teams together. It was that's this was fun. That's what fandom is all about. That's what it's all about. Uh, I'm really excited about that week two one. We should talk again before that before that game goes up. Yeah, definitely. I'll I'll, I'll get in touch with you before then. We've got we've got plenty of time. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to the to the summer break first. Though, to be honest. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, no doubt. He is Danny Kelly, and he covers the NFL for the Ringer. Uh, staff writer there. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. I'm pretty sure most of you already do, but in case, just in case, follow him again on Twitter at Danny B. Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Robert Zaglinski. Follow us on Twitter. Yeah, I'm doing this whole thing at WC Gridiron. Uh, little housekeeping. This has been another fantastic episode. Um, we'll be back soon. And as always, stay classy, everybody. Hello. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.